Welcome to the Relax and Enjoy Health Podcast. I'm Andrew French and I'm your optimal health, well-being and equilibrium coach. This is episode number five where I talk to Sue Edwards. Today with Sue, we're going to talk about fibromyalgia, having a major life-threatening heart attack at 39 years of age, living with heart disease and bipolar disorder, and coming back to playing football. Not to mention the power of friendship and community. Let's get into the interview. Oh my goodness, thank you very much, Sue. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Andrew. No worries, fantastic. All right, today we're just going to talk about, well, essentially, we're just going to have a bit of a chat about your life and uh, the, just some of the things you've been talking to me about, you know, just in, before we came in. Uh, the, the fact that, you know, living with fibromyalgia for your life, living with borderline personality disorder, you know, so we had these chronic illnesses and then, you know, had a heart attack at, you know, 39 of all things, which is incredibly young. And now you're back, and now you're back playing football. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I was kind of thinking about stopping playing before the heart attack anyway. You know, I was coming on 39, I had fibro, um, I was starting to struggle and then I had the heart attack. Um, yeah, I started off my cardiac rehab. Um, eventually, I just got to the point where, do you know what, I don't like being told no. Um, moved to a new place, we moved up to Berkshire. Um, found a team that just started working on a lady's side, so I thought, well, why not? And yeah. Here we are. I mean, I spent half of last season out injured, but that was nothing to do with um, that was nothing to do with uh, my heart or anything. That was more, and I know at least one of my teammates is on here, and she's going to laugh. I yeah, fell that's off. That's right. She can have a giggle. I fell off my sofa at home, and uh, yeah, I tore the CFL in my ankle. Uh, <laughs> what? Oh my goodness! All right, so. Take me back. What was what was your life like before the heart attack? Tell me, just describe it for everyone. Um, I started playing football in 1986 when I was 11. The women's game was nowhere near as massive as it is over here now. Um, obviously, you guys have been keeping up, I suppose, with the Euros and the Lionesses. Um, we were nowhere near that. We were only 15 years out of the um, ban that was put on about women playing FA affiliated games, so it was small. There weren't yeah. that many teams in the country. Uh, we did have our own FA. Um, so, yeah, always been pretty active. Um, football, swimming, rugby, uh, you name it, I had a crack at it at some point. Um, yeah, kept, kept myself, I'd say, reason, reasonably fit. Hit my 20s, um, started getting a little bit lazy with it. Uh, didn't keep the same, quite the same levels of fitness up. Um, then 35, I got the fibromyalgia diagnosis. Um, for a while, it really, really, really did hit me and it really did uh, destroy me mentally. All of a sudden, I'm like, well, hang on a minute, I've got this disability and it's going gonna, it's gonna to affect me day to day. And I think it was partly... It beat me mentally more than it beat me physically, I think, back then. You know, because it's one of those things where you think, well, this isn't going away. Um, it is going to limit me. It is going to slow me down. And 
you know, I started slowing down with everything. I still had an active job. I was a prison officer. So, you know, obviously a lot of time on my feet, quite a lot of time running around. But I was starting to feel it. And then 39, um, I was out with my then partner. We, funny enough, we'd gone for a coffee. And there was no normal heart attack symptoms. It was a uh, feeling that was a little bit like indigestion. And um, I was sweating a lot and kept wanting to burp. So, there, you know, just thought, oh, what's, what's this all about? This is a bit weird. This doesn't usually happen. Um, hit the shop. So I said, I'm feeling a bit faint. I'm going to go and wait outside for you. And then that was it. I woke up in hospital. And apparently I'd had a massive heart attack. And the blockage was in the uh, left anterior descending artery. Um, very, very close to being fatal. Apparently, I'd been defibrillated 12 times, so I've never been so thankful for a paramedic with a God complex in all my life ever. Exactly, um, yeah. yeah, 10 days I was kept in, um, you know, obviously spending a lot of time trying to make sense of what had happened. Luckily, my mates were all really good. Up they came, you know, everyone was coming up en masse, um, no one wanted to bring me a bottle of vodka and a kebab or anything, though, which was really disappointing. Um, you, you just can't get good friends these I days. I mean, to be fair, one of my best mates did say to me, uh, basically, if you don't get back in that bed, we're going to end up fighting because I wanted to get up and go for a cigarette, literally within five minutes of coming round. But, um, yeah, so 10 days later, I left hospital and then the real hard work began with a cardiac rehabilitation program which the old me would have found very very boring and you know very slow but it was a case of build it up very very slowly i mean i got told that um i had my heart working at 60 percent of what it should be for someone of my age and uh, they said if you're lucky you can get it up to 70. And I can see the girls are all uh, jumping in on the chat. So, uh, yeah, hello, Burfield. How are we? Nice of you all to join us. Um, yeah, so from there, really, it was just a case of trying to build it up and see what, see, you know, how far how far I could go, you know, what sort of recovery I'd make. Um, I was lucky. One of the things we got told was that there could have potentially been brain damage uh, because obviously with the heart stopping, the oxygen supply to the brain stops. Uh, luckily, all, all it's left me with really is a slight slur sometimes, and I do think a little bit slower than I used to. And there's probably a few people out there going, well, how are we no, Okay, I'm, I'm looking. Someone could argue that it's just the fact it's football players and it's got nothing to do with the heart attack. <laughs> Typical coming from from an Aussie, that is, you know. Yeah, I mean, we said football. It's taken me the last week to figure out. Oh, I think she means soccer. Yeah, sorry, a uh, bit of a language barrier there. Yeah, definitely <laughs> soccer. I wouldn't even like to have a crack at your rules. It's a little bit too vicious I, even for me. It's seriously ours. It's practically ballet with the, uh, you know, with the sleeveless shirts. All right. So basically, so 
going back to you know fibromyalgia so you're 35 years old yeah so you're diagnosed with fibromyalgia now my daughter has has fibromyalgia and she said basically it's just her entire skin is electrified for her and uh, you know she went through a, a, a lot of stuff and you know she ended up getting pain patches and everything just to be able to function her normal every day so how did you go through with that it was difficult to start with um i'm the sort of, i used to be the sort of person that i'd balk at taking paracetamol let alone anything stronger um the first thing the gp did was okay well we're gonna try and hit uh funny enough the depression aspect first because um, fibro apparently drains the serotonin so it's a case of are you depressed because you're continually going through this pain or is it your depression's making the pain worse. So the first thing we talked about was um, antidepressants. So I got told basically you're going to be on something for depression for the rest of your life. Um, then we looked at, okay, how are we going to deal with the pain itself? And how are we going to, you know, deal with the spasms, which is a massive thing for a lot of sufferers. They get... Um, spasms especially at night and that obviously doesn't do sleep pattern any good so the first thing was um amitriptyline uh, to help me with the nighttime spasms um basically what it does it's it's real use was as an antidepressant sorry i'm going to go into my medical knowledge here now um its first use was as an antidepressant then they discovered it does have a relaxing effect so it's often used now for migraines, but it's also it's also used okay. with fibro to um, relax the muscles at night, try and stop the spasms and help patients sleep. And then it was the pain relief itself, which to start off with was um, tramadol. And as I say, it beat me. It was beating me mentally long before it was beating me physically. You know, I'm sure your daughter will agree yeah. and any other sufferers out there will agree it's a hell of a diagnosis because the stigma attached to it's unreal you know it's uh, a lot of doctors still to this day as soon as you say you've got fibromyalgia just start rolling their eyes because they uh, it's one of these invisible conditions that because they can't see it uh, they don't think it's there um main, the main symptoms yeah. i get with it is it does make me extremely tired extremely quickly uh, that can make me pretty moody. So all in all, I'm a bit of a stress bag, really. Um, pain can be very, very intense. I can be doing the smallest, absolute slightest thing, and I'm just in absolute agony. But then I can go out on a Sunday, I can play football, I can put as much of a shift in as I can, and then I'll be in pain for two days again, and then we're back to training. So um, we've had to move on a bit now because I'm because of my heart condition i can't take amitriptyline anymore so absolutely anything to deal with the spasms uh just completely out of the question um amitriptyline is actually cardiac toxic so that's not there so now we're on now it's a combination of um vortioxetine as the antidepressant um pregabalin to deal with the nerve pain also because it's got a uh mood stabilizing effects so that then kicks in with my uh bpd as well and helps that um df118 which is basically a strong variation of uh 
the hydrocodone for the pain and about eight nine different i think heart meds so it's uh, a heck of a ch heck of a chunk out of uh, medication there for, for these conditions so yeah it as i say it did beat me mentally for a long time you know um but yeah. eventually i started thinking well you know it's not going away and i'm not letting my life go away so i'm going to try and flip it on its head now and just uh try and work with my limitations best i can uh but at the same time i'm not going to let it beat me anymore and if i can push the boundaries i'll push the boundaries that's fantastic so i mean just well basically obviously you're a fighter i mean honestly you you're coming up you know in the you know you got your, your women's league i had no idea that there was a ban on women playing football i mean that's just unbelievable the amount the amount of stuff that you know you find out nowadays that is just used to be classed as normal and uh now thank god is not no, but uh the simple fact like so bring being a prison officer for so long before before that so obviously you're a fighter you're a bit of a terrier and uh so but just leading up just the amount because I've, I've known a few prison officers and they're not the calmest individuals in the world so we're talking high stress factors definitely i mean um working on a normal wing it's a whole different level of stress i mean i actually work with the vulnerable prisoners which is mainly sex offenders yeah probably 90 percent so it's a different level of stress with normal prisoners you could um you you can it, it it's different you know you could, something can kick off out of nothing and it's more physically stressful because if it goes off obviously you've then got to go in and start using physical intervention with them um, with sex offenders it's more mental stress because they will try and get into your head and they will try and get into your head and they will try and find out anything they can about your personal life. And the only thing really that keeps you sane is um, just your colleagues. Uh, hang on, I've got a really good question come up here. Uh, it's actually from Laura, our vice captain, and she's asked me who's worse, the old inmates or my teammates. <sighs> Oh, good question. I'm going to get killed either way here, aren't I? Um, <laughs> it's not going to go well. We can, oh, look, oh, look, Laura Middleton, there seems to be a problem. She's no longer in. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this, is, this isn't going to age well, is it? Um, I'd say when you lot aren't drinking, definitely the inmates. Um, when you lot are drinking, definitely you lot. Um, yeah, one of the other girls... It, See, um, NA7 has just come up with I've done well with Cheryl Ian, mate. Uh, God, I didn't read that lot, but realize that lot were reading some of the WhatsApps I put on on the group chat, to be fair. Uh, yeah, that's a bit worrying that she remembers that story. Um, yeah, we had a transgender prisoner, um, in the unit who asked me, of all people, how to straighten her hair, and I absolutely didn't have a clue, so I went off to do something else uh came back and there she was ironing her hair and she managed to burn her wig or hair extensions so yeah that wasn't my happiest moment uh but yeah laura there's your answer mate um 
You lot are worse when you're drinking and prisoners are worse when you're sober. So there you go. Is that a diplomatic answer? <laughs> that is very diplomatic. Uh, oh, behave. <laughs> all right. So we're all right. So we're looking at incredibly high stress situation. I mean, we're we're talking that's that's like a twelve out of ten. So definitely that's definitely contributed to, you know, and also the lifestyle. You're not you're just not happy. It's very, very hard to be happy when you're surrounded by that kind of environment. You know, so how do you how do you think your mental state was around then? Just overall, because it's not something you can turn off when you go. No, I, you, you try to. There was an old there was a saying about um, you leave the you leave you you leave the job with the keys and you give the keys in and you go home. But it's not always that simple. Some things throughout the day do affect you. Uh, so yeah, you do go home. A lot of prison officers really did start turning to drink. It was a massive problem. Um, within the service, I'm not sure about now. Um, by then, I'd pretty much all but given up drinking, so that wasn't really a thing for me. Um, you, basically, if I wasn't at work, I was asleep. It was pretty much that simple. Uh, long hours. It's just yeah, it was long hours. It, it was quite stressful. Um, so, yeah, I mean, one of the worst things I did, and that probably didn't help my cardiac health any in any way shape or form was i was living literally living off um energy drinks and very very strong coffee so i think there's a lesson in there somewhere yeah definitely especially if it's yeah too much and you see i mean so many people you you see them you know 20 year olds having you know red bulls and vodka at the club but they'll have 20 yeah. of them you know so you know it's just like what what's the re what's the record for heart rate well i think it's zero so you know i mean you must be one of the luckiest people ever to actually have a heart attack and not actually go through it in some way i was lucky that they took me to probably one of the uk's leading um cardiac hospitals which was one of my local ones it was about five minutes down the road so i think that definitely helped um, but the bit where you wake up next morning, uh, you've got no idea where you are, and you're just in this white this white room, yeah. and you're looking around. You, this doesn't look like my bedroom. And someone's just standing over, and they're like, "Do you know where you are?" And you're like, no, "I haven't got a clue." Oh, you're in St George's, right? Okay, uh, you had a heart attack. Oh, did I? Yeah, we had to um, put a stent in, and I was literally, "Okay, can I go home now then?" And this is where one of my friends turned around and said to me, if you don't get back in that bed, we're going to end up fighting. Because I was trying to get out of the bed and get dressed. And, yeah, that wasn't going to be happening. Oh, another one of my teammates, Naomi, what's my favourite quality in a player on a football pitch? Um, how about not being shouted at for the entire time I'm on there? <laughs> um, favourite quality in a player on a football pitch? Um, working for the team not not all about yourself and scoring the glamorous goal or getting the hat trick it's about working to me um my favorite my favorite um quality on a player on a pitch has got to be the hard the effort that they put in for their teammates you know there's 11 of us out there not one of us out there no laura it's definitely not your legs mate mate sorry besides which your wife's a lot bigger than me and she would punch me in the face <laughs> 
You see what I have to put up with? Andrew, oh, you right. see what I have to put up with? When I score, can I, can I, I do a turn? I mean, hang on. This is what they call you? Oh, my God. So this is the support you're getting, and these are your friends. This is awesome. <laughs> They're great, right? All right. So Nicole, I do have a goal celebration worked out for the first one, mate. And, yeah, you might see it this season, depends on if you're going to sneak in there and steal, what, steal my goal off me, really, doesn't it? Yeah, see... Nicole, to be, to be fair, I mean, scoring isn't really a huge thing in soccer matches. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really happen. How did I feel when Nicole st stole my goal off you? Gutted. Oh, savage. It was. It was really savage. I, it was the only chance I had, clear, of the entire season. And in she sneaked, little... Um, NA7 and just scored it. I mean, yeah, she's right. It probably was going wide. It was yeah, I would, uh, see. So Nicole saved the dame for the whole team. So Nicole's literally the star player. <laughs> um, I don't know about saved the game for the whole team. I, if my memory's right, this is a game we won 10-0. <laughs> but she, to be fair, she probably did save that goal because it was going in off my right and uh, anything I hit off my right foot could just end up literally anywhere on the planet. So... Uh, we're yeah. a lefty. Okay, so waking up in the hospital. We're in the hospital for ten yeah. days, you know. So you're obviously quite active and everything like that. So how how tough was that for you? So um, it was almost like an enforced form of torture. I mean, I was on a cardiac ward, so I was the youngest in there by probably about twenty years. So I think yeah. some of the uh, other patients probably thought I'd been hoovering more cocaine up my nose than the entire than the whole of the Rolling Stones combined. Um, it I was lucky because a lot of my friends were popping up to see me, keeping keeping me occupied during the day. But night times, yeah, it really was getting me down. Uh, I had plenty of books to read, but I just couldn't just couldn't focus it was all where do I go from here oh my god how much is this going to change my life um you know especially when the cardiac nurse came around and said right well you've got to change your lifestyle you've got to change your eating habits um it's going to leave you with angina and I was like oh okay that's a bit worrying both my parents had it so you know obviously I've seen what happens with angina attacks it can be pretty scary um yeah it was not it was a pretty black pretty dark time for me in in all honesty i mean every cloud i managed to lose probably the best part of a stone in 10 days because of the food which i suppose was one advantage yeah. but yeah it was a really 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 dark time for me it was uh it wasn't fun Okay, so how did, well, basically the recovery from that. So, you know, so what did you have to go through? Um, first thing I had to do was a, a cardiac rehab course, which was a series of really, really gentle exercises to start with. It was just gentle stuff on a step machine, a little bit of cycling. Um, this lot are going to laugh when I hear this, running machine. I'm not noted for my running on the pitch um yeah it was it was just assessing my heart rate i was up and down to the cardiologist for a while 
they'd put me through um, MRI scans. They'd do things like heart echoes, cardiac echoes, um, things like that, ultrasounds, just to see what was going on. Um, as I said, we were looking at mm-hmm. probably uh, 60, 60% of where it should be. Um, so we didn't know what was going to happen from there. We didn't know whether it would stay at 60, whether it would improve or whether it would backslide. You know, I mean, most people or a lot of people, they have one, then they're prone to having another. So really it was, I suppose, damage limitation in a way, you know, um, give me the best chance of uh, a fight in recovery. So, I mean, again, it was, again, it was dark, you know, no one wants to be dragging themselves up to the hospital three or four times a week. Um, About the same time is when I got the BPD diagnosis. So it was, uh, it was kind of like two black eyes in uh, one move, really. All right, so the borderline personality disorder, is that a result of fibromyalgia, you know, depression, and is it a result of just the heart attack? It's, so how, what are the, what are the uh, things going on there? It's, in all honesty, and I've done a lot of soul searching about this since I was diagnosed, um, I think it's been there since at least my early teens. Um, some of my behaviour at times, was a, it just went beyond stroppy teenager. Uh, it was, you know, absolutely ridiculous. My parents tried to get me to a educational psychologist. I refused to go because, yeah, we're talking 1988. The stigma around mental health then was so much worse than it is now. And I was thinking, if anyone at school exactly. finds out I'm seeing an educational psych, my life's not going to be worth living. So... <clears throat> You know, I just cracked on, tried to deal with everything the best I could. Um, yep, the fibro diagnosis didn't help. Um, the heart attack didn't help because it sent the moods down spinning. And unlike generally um, with BPD, where you can go through every emotion in the world on any given day, um, mine were just staying low. I was angry. I was lashing out at everyone. Um, my ex told me, basically, you need to go and get this sorted out. Uh, luckily, my GP was pretty good, and she said, okay, well, yeah, we'll get you referred. So a referral was made, and, yeah, I got told I'd borderline personality disorder. My first thought was, hang on a minute, I can't have a personality disorder. Um, I'm not violent. I don't go around... You know, there's all the stigmas and all the stereotypes just start coming into your head. And then you read up on it and you think, well, actually, no, this does fit. I can go from high as a kite to as low as anything within five or ten minutes. You know, I can, I'm my own worst critic, but also I can react really, really badly to criticism if it's constructive i'll take it if it's just having a go at me for the sake of having a go at me then no i won't take it at all it can just send my moods absolutely spiraling so again that was another tough one to deal with you know i was what was i 40 when i got told i had it so i had been running around undiagnosed for probably 13 for about 30 years so it's yeah it's a bit of a bit scary you know letting me running loose on the public now would be a bit bit worrying but 
Good question um, from Sarah. Who's my biggest inspiration? That's sensational. Biggest, I've got a feeling that's my missus, so I'm going to have to say you are. Um, apart from that, um, that's really good. That's actually that's a really good question. Uh, yeah, tough one. Yeah, it was my missus. Um, yeah, really tough question. This is going to sound really cheesy, but probably most of the girls I play football with, to be fair, they're all inspirational in their own weird and wacky different ways. And to be honest, our coaches, you know, they always push all of us to be better to be better players and to be better people. That's fantastic. Oh, and that's it. We're just going to finish there. Thanks very much. <laughs> that's awesome. But I mean, all right. So we're looking at the, so we're going at the borderline personality disorder. You know, it, it just an emotional roller coaster on a daily limit, you know, on a daily basis. So how how does that? What do you what do you do to overcome that? I mean, so now you know, you know why it's happening. You know that there's actually a reason for it now. So is what do you do? Do you? you know what 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 can how can you help other people with what you know about what you have uh, i mean the main thing to understand with bpd is you've got a, you've got a series of triggers um we've all got we've all got triggers things that can put us in a bad mood uh, the difference with bpd is we react a hundred we feel it a hundred times more than anyone else um every every given day is different so I mean, for example, one of my worst triggers is probably rejection, and that can be actual rejection or perceived rejection. And they're two of the things that can really, really send me into a spiral. So one thing I've learned to do now is I do, it's not mindfulness, but at some point every day I'll try and listen to a hypnosis app that I've got. And it might be sometimes if I'm having problems sleeping, I've got a, I've got a hypnosis um, program that I listen to Saturday nights to go to sleep with so I'm ready for Sunday um, I can listen to it during the week it just helps me to relax it just takes me out of that um, distraction techniques are a big one um, when I'm at work because it's fairly quiet in the office I often just pop my earphones in and I'll listen to a decent audio book um, sitting around at home i play quite a lot of chess on my phone or on my tablet um yeah games are games are a big one anything basically that can just you know take me out of myself and you know try and stop the stop the thoughts coming in um another one i do is i wear an elastic band when i'm getting stressed around my wrist and then if you if i start really really feeling it i ping that and it kind of brings me back into reality a little so i mean with the with the high moods it's actually a lot harder to deal with because when you're on that high it's a lot harder to bring yourself down so i mean my highs are ridiculous i just go out and spend shit loads of money that i probably haven't actually got just on rubbish so um that's when that's where my wife comes into her own because she'll just look at me and go right Give me your phone. You're not going doing any online shopping. Um, to deal with those, I suppose, really. It's just to take a deep breath and try and ground myself a little bit again. So it's 
yeah she's just said i love online shopping yeah i do but you know i go if i'm on a high then i will just go out and buy rubbish you know i'll come home with a stuffed llama or something equally ridiculous just because it's there so i do need to take very very deep breaths with that sometimes and just try and bring myself back on the ground level a bit but the highs with it um certainly i find don't match up with the lows the lows are horrific absolutely horrific you know self-harm is a massive thing amongst bpd sufferers um self-medicating can be a big thing that could be alcohol it could be um, recreational drugs it could even be with their own medication all sorts of impulsive behaviors cross community uh, sleeping around um again spending money that's probably my worst one driving like an idiot putting yourself in all sorts of danger you know they're all different ways that bpd can manifest itself when you're in a certain point with it so that's the problem you know you're constantly fighting this war within yourself about i want to go and do this because it's going to ground me again or i'm feeling really low i'm going to go and do this and then there's that rational part of you that's thinking no it's not going to last that's really stupid and yeah it's it's a constant battle um the media certainly don't always portray bpd in a good light um you know bpd sufferers have got a pretty bad name um if you look at the johnny depp amber heard case uh first thing that was coming out with her behavior was oh she's got bpd yeah she might do i'm not sure if she has whether it's been diagnosed equally she might just be abusive you know not all bpd sufferers are manipulative equally not all not all master manipulators are bpd sufferers no no exactly so i mean but it, it seems like you've got wonderful support and sarah there so that's fantastic yeah so, be. that's awesome thank you sarah keeping her with us honestly so let me go so what is your why what what makes you keep going you know because you're obviously you're a battler you keep going you get up you just keep going there's you're just pretty much unstoppable it seems of it uh, well i don't think the alternatives really have a lot of appeal you know um i'm i'm 40 i'm 47 next month i'm you know i'm not ready to be chucked into a wheelchair and left alone yet so i mean my why is just i love life um i do love playing football and one thing I really want to do now is work on inspiring others, not just in terms of coaching kids, but in terms of people that have got chronic conditions or if they've got a long-term illness or if they've got a long-term injury or mental health problems. You know, if one person can listen to my story and it makes them think, okay, there is light at the end of the tunnel, Sue's done it, I can do it, then that makes me happy you know that's why i am getting the story out there a bit more because it can be done we've all heard of what happened at the uh, euros last season with um christian erickson you know he had, a, he had a cardiac arrest on the pitch he's now just signed for manchester united what a year a year later so it can it you know it can happen it it won't always happen but even oh, if you have drop down that level just keep going you know, take oh, it's fantastic. But you look at it. 
I mean, so you look at it just inspiring on from people from so many levels. I mean, just just the fact you started this conversation, you know, you started playing soccer back when it was banned by, you know, for so long for, for women to actually have their own leagues and things like that. So you've got that. You've got you're married to a beautiful woman. So, you you know, so that really, really that cares for you. You've got that inspiration. You've got the inspiration of being in absolutely horrific prison officer, sex offenders, you know, area and being able to not exactly thrive, but you survived, but that's something that you can take with you. You've come, you know, you've come through a heart attack. You've come through fibromyalgia. You, you know, you're getting through borderline personality disorder. It's just, it's just ongoing. Listening to, you know, the the companionship you have with your teammates here, and how every single one of them, they, you know, they're here supporting you, and. And they're just they're rolling in one of your three main aims for the 22 23 season oh come on hit me with all the questions guys um can we go one better than last season and win the league please that would be number one um number two would be to actually find the back of the net and three to survive an entire season without falling off my sofa and breaking myself again I, I, I mean, just what can I say? Just fell off the sofa. I mean, wow. Hashtag silly sofa from Naomi. Yeah, I've had plenty of grief about that. Um, I wouldn't mind, but I've literally just been cleared to go back to training after having COVID. And yeah. And I had to sort of like tell everyone, yeah, guess what, guys? You probably won't be seeing me until the end of the season at the earliest. I've torn a ligament in my ankle. That's it. You're in a purely support role now. <coughs> so, yeah, there's right, so really with, with everything. Oh, yeah. And as Nicole's just very kindly reminded me, I was out with a back injury as well because I pulled a muscle in my back because sometimes I forget I'm not 19 anymore and I do actually need to warm up properly before games. So, yeah. So that was... <laughs> You just go out and break yourself. All right. I would recommend that you find a Tai Chi place near you and I think, learn I think bubble wrap might, and help I think bubble wrap might probably be more appropriate sometimes, Andrew, to be fair. But, yeah. All right. So you're a normal person just like everyone else. All right. So what? What do you think is different about you which makes you have this just inner get up and go that you just want to keep going? You're not ready to finish and, you know, you just want to just get out and continue and trying to inspire people. I'm stubborn. I don't like hearing the word no. And uh, to be honest, I mean, I know the dark places I've been to with everything. Um, you know, I know what my mindset's been like at times where... You know, I've been depressed. I've been like, well, you know, my life's, well, it's literally felt sometimes like my life's over because I can't maintain my fitness. I can't do any sport. And what I could have done with was someone to just say to me, look, you know, it's not over. Just take it one day at a time, take it one goal at a time and see where, see where it gets you, which is pretty much what I did. 
you know, my first aim was um, to get my cardiac fitness back to a certain level, uh, you know, to get through my cardiac rehab program. Then my next aim was to get back into the gym. And then it was, I wonder if I could still play. I mean, I, I started coaching. Um, I worked with an under-11s team for um, AFC Wimbledon. Um, much as I enjoyed it, I realised I wasn't quite ready to stop playing mentally because I was kicking every ball with them. Um, you know, under-11s isn't meant to be competitive. And then you've got me, I'm fighting and <laughs> screeching. So I, was, I thought, yeah, maybe I'm not quite ready to stop yet. So on one hand, I was loving it because I was working with kids. You know, I was trying to teach them what I've learned and take the inspiration into them that way. And then on the other hand, I was on the sidelines every Sunday thinking, actually, I should be, I should still be playing. Let's let's see what happens with this. Let's try and get myself back to a place where I could potentially walk back onto the pitch. And um, yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, they've bought a new, the FA have bought a new ruling in now where they're not allowed to head a ball in training under the age of I think it's twelve. It might even be they're not allowed to head a ball in games under a certain age now. So, because there's been so many cases of things like... Um, That's probably not such a terrible rule. The uh, thing is, it's going to be hard to teach them when they get over a certain point. If you're looking at 14, 15, and they're only just going to learn how to head the ball, you know, you're possibly yeah, they're, they're going to do more harm than good with that ruling. It's going to do more harm if they're jumping up to head a ball and it's cracking... The top of their head rather than the front of the head where they should be hitting it with i can understand the ruling and i don't want to sound too controversial because i do understand it but i just don't i just don't think it's going to help their development maybe limiting it but i suppose the flip side of it is it might help with the uh general foot skills if then they can't hoof the ball in the air and our wimbledon in the 1980s and they're going to have to do something else Oh, Naomi, good one, mate. Uh, favourite current male footballer? Oh, tough one. Um, yeah, none of you lot are going to have heard of them, to be fair, because we all know that I support a pretty ropey football team. Um, I, do you know what? I'm going to go with Cardiff City's Joe Rawls, the new captain, to be fair. Here's going to be the answer to that one. Guys, you've got me at such a disadvantage. I know nothing about this at all. You guys are speaking a different language. Favourite England women's footballer, Euro 2022. Um, I would have said Ellen White if she'd won me my bet, but seeing as she hasn't, I'm Beth Mead. She's just been amazing. Um, even speaking as a TAF, I've got to admit, yeah, she's been absolutely spectacular. And uh, Sunday, I really, really hope they do... They do put it off. Best goal I've ever scored. Um, yeah. First one. Probably the first goal I ever scored because that was it. That was the confidence up then. And it was a pretty lucky tap-in, to be fair. But, yeah, they all count. Most spectacular one. Um, probably edge of the box volley when I was at Wimbledon Town against British Airways. Because that probably looks a lot better than it actually was. <laughs> have i met any famous ballers um yeah 
funnily enough, I used to play for Wimbledon with um, Jason Cundy's sister. So we obviously all grew up together. I grew up with um, Steve Finnan, most Liverpool supporters will know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any others. Yeah, loads of the Wimbledon players from back in the day. Vinnie Jones, um, John Fashnu, Kenny Dalgleish. No modern ones, to be fair, because I don't really go to games anymore. Uh, the ones that I have all played for Wimbledon, so I wouldn't exactly call them famous, more infamous. Uh, was the box bigger than it is now? Um, feels like it's bigger now, but it probably wasn't because I was probably a bit fitter then. She's got around. I got there. Was my man of the match on Sunday? All right, uh, Naomi, you mate, you got my vote for it. So well done. <laughs> See, egos, ego. Well done, Naomi. No, she had a cracking game Sunday. To be fair, so. They're just all trying to catch me awesome. out. They're well just done, trying Naomi. to catch me out now, aren't they? Oh, wow. No, I'm Nicole Savage. Nicole, you won it enough last season, mate. You've got to let someone else have a go occasionally. Oh, look. Pick me up. Put me down. <sighs> look, see? And this is them behaving. How, this is this is but this is good because I'm looking I'm looking here and it's it's just like you know family and friends how is your social network and how does this affect you <laughs> hit me go on everyone you just shut up for a second <laughs> let her talk um, her okay. social network I think there's your answer um, no I mean honestly mostly yes. my family and friends are really supportive. I mean, sometimes they, when I said, oh, I'm going to go back to playing football, most of them just looked at me and went, are you mad? I mean, I've had one coach, um, well, I say coach, throughout most of my footballing, footballing life, and that's um, my older cousin. It was him that taught me how to kick a football. And even now, you know, every Sunday he's on me, what was the score? Where did you play? How long did you play for? What did you do right? What did you do wrong? Um yeah, you know, he over the years he's been so so supportive. You know, when I first said, "Oh, that's it, I'm going to play football," my parents were like, "Fuck!" But you're a girl, you can't play football. And he was like, "No, she can and she will." So yeah, the level of support I've always had from my family has just been amazing. My parents were both county standard, uh, at least one sport themselves that helped. So yeah, once the, they realised I wasn't going to be changed. You know, they weren't going to sway me into playing, into trying to be good at netball. Then that was it. Um, so, yeah, my family have always been there 100%. Um, most of my friends are there for me 100%. And I think you've just seen here what my teammates are like. You know, if I'm on a, if, yeah, honestly, the team atmosphere is really Yeah, good. if I'm on a low, these guys do pick me up. They know how to pick me up. They're not scared of uh, stopping stopping my ego getting out of control sometimes either. But, yeah, and then they're not scared of reminding me that I am actually literally a grandmother. So, you know, they were the odd pop about that That's as well. Fantastic. All right. So what do you, what would you recommend? The, the biggest thing for you, what do you think would give people the best chance of success? Best chance of success? Um Taking every day as it comes, setting yourself small goals, 
achieving those goals and then going for your next target. It, you know, it's that simple. It's just small steps equal the longer walk. It's a cliche, but, you know, to climb the stairs, you've got to take that first step, haven't you? So, yes. All right. We're, oh. heading, into, we're heading into wind up. So, basically, you know, we talked about mindset. You do pretty much on a regular basis, just centering yourself, balancing yourself, bringing yourself, grounding yourself, you know, back down, whether it's, you know, through hypnosis, your, you know, just the certain habits you've got. Now, do you do anything nutritionally to try and give you a good chance during your day? Um, if I'm honest, not as much as I should do. I mean, at the moment, I'm still trying to get some weight shifted. So I'm quite into... Uh, grenade supplements what i will do is i will use um glutamine and creatine most of the time um i occasionally have a protein shake again i can't really get myself disciplined for that uh yeah and multivitamins uh, apart from that it's just really trying to be sensible i'm lucky really because sarah does make sure i have a slightly more balanced diet you know whereas i used to be the older uh, joke about shane warm with a cheeseburger in each hand um, as I've got older, I've got a bit more sensible. Oh, good. What habits do you recommend people establish? <sighs> Look, organise your day. Um, you know, in, in terms of anything, really, it's being organised. You know, setting the time aside for yourself. Just, even if it's half hour a day, just turn your phone off, uh, turn, all your, turn all your electrics off. And just take that time for yourself, whether it's listen to half hour of an audio book, listen to some music that you like, go and have a chilled bath. It doesn't matter. Just, you know, take that time to just ground yourself a little bit. You know, if, if hypnosis okay. is your thing, if your hypnosis is your thing, do it. If mindfulness is your thing, do it. That's the first habit. The second habit is just get yourself into a routine you know with me, with me the hardest one's been getting myself back into a gym routine um i've managed to do that because i've just finished a 250 mile bike ride for charity over july which this lot of gobsmacked about that i finished i think that reminds me laura you own well, some money. You the bloody webinar's over before you mention it <laughs> what the hell all right, now you have to tell us what the heck is that about? Okay, it's um, it was a two hundred and fifty. We mile weren't finished there. Sorry, it's a two hundred and fifty mile cycle road ride, which I did over July for a charity called Scotty's Little Soldiers. Um, what they do effectively is they provide ongoing support and assistance to the uh, kids of soldiers that have been killed in action. Uh, as a veteran myself, it's definitely something I really believe in. Um, I do think they fly under the radar when it comes to funding and publicity. So, yeah, it wasn't all in one go. It was over a month. I averaged 14 miles a day, starting at 4 o'clock in the morning. Um, yeah. And I did it in a gym so that I'd have a soft landing if I, fe if I fell off the bike. But that's, 
that's pretty impressive yeah i'd love the way you left it till the last minute to just slip that one in down here's says on the side going how long has she got to go and it's just like well it's, it was gonna be now it's because she knows i can talk for wales when i get started so plus she's got the dog up there so he's probably driving her mad but i mean you've done fantastically you were you were shitting bricks when we started so you know i think you've done a fantastic job sue thank you so much now what final advice would you give to people out there um as i say just get yourselves into a routine just take small steps um every day is going to be different every day is going to be a challenge but just don't give up just keep going you know there is there is a there is a way back if anyone if anyone out there is listening that's got a long-term injury or long-term illness there's a way back i mean there's laura on here she's come back from a long-term injury she she did incredibly well so you know it just yeah listen to your body listen to what your body's telling you and just try and push it every, that little bit further every day and see where it takes you uh, that's fantastic thank you sue you're an absolute inspiration and i think we're going to finish up with sar's comment here happy wife happy life that final advice we'll give to everybody out there all right sue thank you very much for joining me today no worries andrew take care thanks Burfield. Right. love you <laughs> thank you guys thank you very much for oh hang on can you do a suey before you leave <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> savage all right guys thank you very much we're going to wrap Thanks, it up take care we're going to press end broadcast and we're going to get kicked vinyl in the air take care take care guys see ya thanks for listening to today's relax and enjoy health podcast with sue Edwards. if you'd like to know more about sue you can find her handle on instagram at Cockney Taps 75. Your host, Andrew French, for optimal health, well-being and balance. If you want the bullet points from today's podcast or even for some free resources, check us out at www.relaxenjoyhealth.com.au. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or even leave us a review and a rating. If you have any ideas for a podcast, please send us an email. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Facebook at Relax Enjoy Health.